Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Throughout human history, uh, in all cultures and all time, uh, people of all places have been drawn to this thing called worship. Uh, That is to say that every human culture has had some concept of a being or beings uh, that are bigger or larger than themselves. All human cultures have had some concept of the divine. And this awareness then of the divine has led all human cultures in some form or another, certainly taking on a wide breadth of forms, to a spiritual life, to some sort of spiritual practice. And so I have a, a, a little uh, exercise for us. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about these things in your mind. When I say the word spirituality, what do you think of? Again, I'm not asking for public responses. Uh, that, might, that might be pretty intimidating. But think about it in your mind. What, when I say the word spirituality, what comes to mind or what do you think of? Another way of thinking about this is, is what do you think we mean when we say things like our spiritual life? Um, or sometimes you've heard this, people talk about having a spiritual experience. What do they mean by that? Or what do you think they might mean when they talk about having a spiritual experience? Uh, perhaps your mind goes to things like worship or expressions of worship, whether those are outward expressions, maybe the raising of hands during uh, music in a church service, maybe some measure or expression of private devotion to God or to the divine. Uh, or maybe spirituality is simply a, a generic term, kind of a, a catch-all term that we use to describe the things that we try to do to find connection with the divine. Right? Maybe that's kind of the, a, a helpful way of thinking about spirituality. All the things that we try to do to find connection to the divine. There's actually quite a bit to think about when we, when we start offering and thinking about questions like this, but I want to add a layer of complication, if I might, here right at the beginning of the message. And that layer of complication is, uh, what if I asked, on top of questions like that, if I asked the question of how are spirituality and religion similar or different? Whoa, now things get pretty muddy, right? Now things are starting to get really messy. Um, Or maybe messy isn't the word, maybe nuanced, maybe complicated, maybe layered. As we think about what is religion and spirituality, here's another way of asking that same question. What is the relationship between religion and spirituality? Over the last few generations in America, it's become more popular to see religion as the dusty, boring, and mostly unnecessary thing, while also maintaining or seeking to maintain a private spirituality. Uh, In in my years as a pastor, I've come across a good number of people who inform me uh, that they're tired of religion, uh, but consider themselves spiritual. Most of the time, it's in the context of telling me they'll no longer be attending church. And so it's become quite popular to pursue spirituality while rejecting religion. Religion is often understood as an old idea, an unnecessary weight to carry. And spirituality, on the other hand, frees us from that weight while also allowing us to pursue the deep spiritual questions of life. Now let me say here, let me pause. 
I don't know how the words so far this morning have hit you, uh, what's rising up in your, emotional, in your emotions, but let me say this, that I have a lot of compassion for everyone's journey of faith and wherever that may lead them, in whatever direction that may lead them. Uh, I understand that sometimes there is trauma caused by religious institutions, religious leaders, and oftentimes it requires space for that trauma to heal from those institutions, from those leaders or other people in those same positions. And so as I explore these themes this morning, I want you to hear and to understand that it comes from a place of compassion. I want you to hear and understand that it comes from a place of understanding that there's a lot of nuance to the human experience and that we must be compassionate toward other people's journeys of faith that there is not a one-size-fits-all. It isn't accurate to lay a burden of guilt on anyone for any choice that they've made related to their spiritual life or their religious life. Are you with me? Okay? So I want to I turn to the Scriptures to help give us some guidance, to help give us some grounding. I want to help to understand these things, but my purpose this morning is not to lay on any burden of guilt whatsoever for how you are choosing to navigate the complexities of the divine and the spiritual, in our, in our connection with the divine, um, and how that might play out. And so, how can we turn then to the scriptures to think about Christian spirituality and, and the relationship also with Christian religion? Um, I promise we're going to get to a passage of scripture this morning, but often it's helpful to kind of fly at 10,000 feet, right? Try to get our bearing, get some context. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I promise we're getting there. And if you want to turn or click there, we'll be in John 15. Uh, but let's just uh, take a moment to get some context. And so as we often do, let's begin with the Old Testament, uh, with the story of ancient Israel, because we need to begin there often because it is out of this story and out of this people uh, that Jesus, our Messiah, comes. And so Jesus is always firmly rooted in a context. Uh, one, of the, one of the mistakes that modern uh, churches, Christianity, and the expression of Christianity that we've made is we tend to think about Jesus a-contextually. That is, we just kind of plop Jesus. We don't consider the context of Jesus. We just say, oh, here's Jesus, kind of like spread him over your life, right? Which is like such a weird metaphor. But, um, but, but, but like you understand what I'm saying. Like, so let's just begin here to understand that Jesus is always firmly rooted in a story, in a context. Uh, and so for ancient Israel, speaking about or thinking about spirituality, any concept of spirituality for ancient Israel would have included two things. First is the temple, and second is the Torah. Now, the temple we talked about a, a bit a little bit last week. Temple was the, the intersection of, of heaven and earth. It was the location of God's glory and divine presence. In the minds of ancient Israelites, God had an address. And that was the temple. So uh, any concept of worship, any concept of devotion was connected to a physical place, was connected to a building. I want you to hear that. Any concept of worship or devotion was connected to a physical place and a building for ancient Israelites. It was absolutely central to their life of going to the temple in order to show devotion, in order to worship. Now, 
what we now know is we recognize and know Jesus as the fulfillment of the temple. We understand that God's presence fills all of the earth. We understand that worship can take place anywhere. We know these things, and yet we still have this instinct to gather at a place, to set aside a sacred space to encounter God, to talk about and wrestle with the divine, right? And so we still have this instinct to build chapels and churches and parking lots around them so we can easily access them, right? We still have this instinct to have this physical place because we meet in this church. And so any concept of saying, hey, the church is not the building, it's the people, yes, Amen, 100% true, but let's not overlook the, the, in, the instinct that we have to set aside a space in which we can encounter the divine. Okay, which of course now we know is not the only place we can encounter to the divine, but it's a place that we can go regularly to do that. Now, so the temple was where you got a sense of God's glory, uh, to be close to God's loving presence, to be reminded of God's power. The temple was where all the action was at. Perhaps this is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 84, happy are those who live in your house ever singing your praise. All right, the temple. But if you were an ancient Israelite, the temple could very easily be far away, not very accessible. So how in the world did you practice spirituality? How, in the, how did you have any sense of, of worship or faithfulness without easy access, daily access to the temple? You couldn't always be at the temple. In fact, most of your life was probably spent away from the temple. And so how was an ancient Israelite to practice any spirituality away from the temple? The answer was the Torah. Now, uh, Torah is a fancy word that means law or instruction, and the Torah, as they would have known it, is what we know as the first five books of our Bible. Uh, so these books contain the great narrative of God's rescue of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, called the Exodus, and then they also include the law, which includes the Ten Commandments, but also hundreds of other laws. And if you want great nighttime devotional reading, just turn to the Torah and just read some of the laws. I promise you'll be asleep quickly, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like, it's not super riveting reading, uh, but this is in fact the laws that were given to this people. Uh, and so it includes, yes, the Ten Commandments, but hundreds of other laws. And these holy instructions served a very distinct purpose in the life of ancient Israel, and that is it regulated Jewish life. And so they gave clarity to how life was be, to, to be conducted on all fronts. They provided the framework for how to handle certain situations. They provided instructions for how to go about worship. It, they, allowed a, they, they provided clarity for what was allowed and what not was, was not allowed, etc., etc., etc. These laws, hundreds of them, regulated life for the ancient Israelites. And then when something wasn't clear, or if something came up in your life that wasn't covered in the law, there were the scribes and the Pharisees who were ready with delight to tell you exactly how that law applied to your life. Okay? Um, anytime I'm thinking about the law and like the, this regulating life, like as I've been studying this week, all week there's been one song running through my mind. Can you guess what it is? Tradition, tradition, right? From Fiddler on the Roof. 
<laughs> That's right. Because temple and Torah together provided a framework for our ancient brothers and sisters to practice their faith, right? It provided a path for them to walk, a way of being in the world that held them together and grounded them, which is exactly what the opening scene of Fiddler on the Roof says. Why do we practice these things? It grounds our life. It roots our life in something predictable. Tradition is the very thing that holds us together. This idea of holding together, we're going to get to later on in the message. Now, fast forward to Jesus' day. Jesus, who is the true temple, comes. He enters the temple. He critiques it through prophetic theater. He overturns the tables of the money changers, cracks the whip to drive out the animals. He's angry at the injustice that the temple system has perpetuated, which is exploiting the poor and hindering the worship of Gentiles. But then not only that, when you see Jesus showing critique in his life, the scribes and the Pharisees are often at the blunt end of it. And that is the scribes and the Pharisees have taken this system that was meant to provide a guide for life and they have turned it into a system of guilt. So where the Torah once delightfully guided people, it now burdens them and the religious leaders are right in the center of it and Jesus critiques the whole thing. So temple and Torah are the center of spirituality for ancient Israel. Jesus comes in and shows how they've become corrupted, been misleading people, leading them away from their true intention. And Jesus then comes and essentially lives out the purpose of these two things. Says, I am the fulfillment of the Torah. I am the fulfillment of the temple. And so what was once, and here's what I want you to hear, what was once a path to walk that they might connect with and delight in God had become a religious system complicit with empire and focused on self-preservation. And this is what Jesus critiques. Jesus critiques the fact that this thing that was intended for good and meant to connect people to God has now become simply a religious system that's kind of got one hand in the pocket of empire and is focused on self-preservation. And this is the part of the message where we get to the scriptures. That's the context. That's what we need to have in mind. That's what we need to know before we come to the passage of scripture, which is found in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, in this context and into this context, Jesus says this, um, and we had lots of time to turn there this morning, so I'll just jump right in. Jesus says this in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. For every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. For you've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. For just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. But whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you.
My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's really important context. Into this world, Jesus speaks these words. Now, of course, there's a lot in this passage. Books, commentaries galore have been written just on John 15. So there's much to explore. But this morning, I want to just kind of, again, fly at 10,000 feet over this passage, capture the mood, capture the feeling, capture the expression of this passage. And the expression of this passage is one of intimate connection between Jesus and his followers. Intimate connection between Jesus and his followers. Notice the language of connection, this, this idea of abiding, this idea of remaining. These all speak to an intimacy with God. Which leads me to think that if John the gospel writer were here in the worship service this morning, and we asked him, what does it mean to be spiritual? Now remember, John, the gospel writer, is, is, has all this context of, of Torah and temple and how Jesus is now kind of entering in and critiquing what those systems have become and what they've come to do versus their original intention. John, the gospel writer, has all that context, all of that history. If he were here with us this morning and we said, what does it mean to be spiritual? I have a hunch that he would point us to this metaphor of the vine and the branches. He would recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of the temple. He would recognize Jesus as as coming to show and demonstrate that the law is now written on our hearts through the Spirit of Christ. That he would want us to know that as Christians, any connection with God is connection with Jesus. For Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. And that the Spirit of Christ lives in us. And so any connection with God also is some sort of connection with other people a recognition of their humanity. And he wants us to know that this deep knowing of Jesus and this character of, and the deep knowing of the character of God is possible. And that meaningful relationship with God is possible. And so John's vision of spirituality, I believe, is one of friendship between the faithful and Jesus empowered by the Spirit. There you go, right back to Sunday school when you were growing up. Friendship with Jesus. And so it turns out, actually, that the instinct for spirituality throughout human history is correct. Our propensity towards spiritual expression is right on. There is space in our lives to work out the deeper questions, to explore the deeper things, and to enter into full awareness. And the gospel writer sees Jesus as the fulfillment of the temple and the Torah, therefore being the center of spiritual life. If Jesus is the fulfillment of temple and Torah, and those things were the center of spiritual life for ancient Israel, I believe the gospel writer of John would say our spiritual life as Christians is centered on Jesus. Does this make sense? But then what about religion, and what does this mean for religious expression? Religious institutions, right? I don't want to get too far off in the weeds here, but let me offer what I hope will be helpful insight. The word religion comes from the Latin root ligere, which means to bind or connect. It's where we get our word ligament. 
which holds and binds together. So the word religion comes from the Latin root ligire, which means to bind or connect. The intent of religion is to hold us together, to bind us to God and to one another. Otherwise, life will simply pull us apart. Life will pull us in a thousand different directions. So religion is a set of practices or rituals that are meant to hold us together and connect us to God. Here's my observation. When a lot of people um, get frustrated with institutional religion, they often just begin to practice religion in some other form. They still have a whole set of rituals and practices that help to bind them together, to help hold their life together. And so my, my, uh, my thought or my feeling is that we can't so easily separate the idea of being spiritual from the idea of being religious. Because any connection toward the divine comes with some set of practices or rituals to do that. Now, they may happen inside of a church or not. They may happen inside of, they may be like part of a historic faith or not, but they are still practices and rituals that seek to bind us together. So the purpose of religion is to bind us to one another and to God quite literally by the, by the meaning of the word. So let me, observe, let me offer some observations, and I want to, again, communicate my heart of compassion here. The problem is that religion in our context, in our context, I mostly mean the American evangelical context. Um, the problem is that religion in our context, instead of being centered on a set of practices meant to hold us together and to God, has really become centered on a set of beliefs. So instead of being practice-centered, it's come, become beliefs-centered. Uh, it's become more about dogma than walking a path. And here's the trouble with that. When, when religion is centered on dogma, while also trying and seeking to promote connection with Jesus, there's a fundamental disconnect, Right? So we kind of grew, maybe you grew up in church, you heard about this thing called friendship with Jesus, connection with God through Christ, but instead of given a set of practices to help you connect, you were told that prayer is just talking to God, and you were then told all the right things to believe. So there was a fundamental disconnect between the end goal, that is connection with Jesus, or connection with the divine through Christ, but then how you get there is just believe the right things, and we have a whole generation of people who have believed the right things but feel fundamentally disconnected from God. Are you with me? There might be some resonance if you're like, say, 45 and under in the room, right? Um, so there's this fundamental disconnect, which is why you have, in my observation, so uh, there was a little riff. I'm going to go back to the notes. <laughs> notes, like sticking with the notes is always safer. So uh, this is why you have, in my observation, I think others would agree, whole generations of Christians who have grown up with information training about Jesus but have no real experience of Jesus. The religious system was all about a system of belief while trying to promote connection with Jesus. And now what's happening is that generation is evaluating the role of religion in their lives because religion mostly served to tell them what to think 
and offered very little in terms of practices or rituals to connect with the living Christ. Now, moment of honesty, vulnerability. I am a product of information-based religion. And so I'm still working all these things out. I don't have all the answers. I have some hunches. I have some leanings of what this might mean or certain implications, but please don't misunderstand me to think that because I'm on the platform and have a microphone that I feel like I have everything figured out, because I don't. That as a product of information-based religion who went to seminary where I learned to think about God and got this weird thing called Master of Divinity. Who named that degree? to think that anyone could become a master of the divine. Like, this is so bizarre, right? And so, you have, so I have all this information, all this head knowledge, and yet my own experience is like this longing for this connection, which is in fact why, as a church, I feel like we've kind of tried to adopt a set of practices and rituals that will hopefully serve to connect us to God and to one another and serve the purpose of religion. So I don't have all the answers, but I am confident that the Scriptures point us to an intimacy with God through the Spirit. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide, remain. And I'm also convinced that while the Scriptures invite us into an intimacy with God, that part of what will get us there is practices and rituals, in addition to teaching and instruction for right thinking. But can I say this to the evangelical church of America? We cannot think our way into intimacy with God. We cannot think our way into intimacy with God. There, at some level, there has to be an experience with God. And the trouble is, is we go to discipleship classes, and discipleship classes are usually what? Uh, where you go and you dump more information uh, into your religious brain, and you kind of learn more facts and all of that, uh, and, and yet there's not a set of practices. Um, let me take this moment to point out one of our life groups. Daniel and Melissa are leading a life group that is leaning into a set of practices, um, and so, yes, there's going to be some information, uh, but it's like, hey, let's take this information, let's take this scripture, let's take this insight, and then let's adopt a practice of engagement with God. And so maybe that's uh, a certain way of, pr- or, or a new way of praying, maybe that's going on a hike to experience God in, cr- in creation and in nature, like just kind of exploring all kinds of different practices, rituals, ways of experiencing the presence of God. And so we can't think our way into intimacy with God. We must practice the way. We must walk the path. Now, let me say this because I know it it always comes up. Um, I know what you're thinking. Rituals and practices, especially when they are repeated, um, lose their impact in our lives because they become rote. We lose our concept of meaning because we do them over and over again. the practices that we do as a church, number one, are always optional. You don't have to receive communion. Uh, You don't have to say the prayers or sing the songs. 
Uh, they're always optional. Uh, but <clears throat> the practices and rituals are designed to lead you into a relationship and experience of the divine through Christ. But they only do that insofar as, much, insofar as we faithfully engage in them, right? So the engagement with these sets of practices is what helps us ex like meet their end of, of experiencing the divine. So if you say the Lord's Prayer without any thought of what you are praying, or if you are wondering how long prayers of the people is going to last instead of engaging with the prayer, uh, or if you are disgusted because this is the third week in a row we've sung this song, um, then there's a good chance that those rituals aren't helping you to experience the divine. Um, even though that's their intended purpose. And so they're always optional. So if you're like, oh, I don't like this song, that's okay for you to not sing. Um, but as we say the Lord's Prayer, I would encourage you to like, consider what does it mean for us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe if there's a line or something in the, in the prayer that just sticks out, just stop there. You don't have to say the rest of the prayer. Stop there. Take time to reflect. <clears throat> and so this morning, again, I don't mean in any way to um, not honor the spiritual journey of someone. I don't intend in any way to lay on additional burdens of guilt. And if I've done that, I ask your forgiveness and the forgiveness of Christ. My hope simply is to invite us to see that Christianity is not so much a set of beliefs as a path to walk. And yes, there are beliefs, and yes, there are sort of like essential things to say this is Christian, right? And it's a set of beliefs. Yes, I'm there. I'm with you 100%. But I want to move us away from just thinking about Christianity in terms of belief and recognizing Christianity as a path to be walked. And so I invite us to see that the practices, rituals, and rhythms of a religious life can lead us into a deeply spiritual life if we will faithfully engage. I invite us into friendship with God through the practices of the church in community with others so that we all might walk the path of Jesus together. Amen. Amen. I know I've given us a lot to think about, as I think was true in the first and second weeks of our series, and probably will be true through the rest of the series. And I also just want to reiterate that sermons are never finished. They're only delivered, which is to say that next week, next month, next year, or 15 years from now, I may look back at this sermon and say, here's all the things I got wrong. And there was a point, actually, when we were switching podcast services, I told Daniel, don't upload anything from this year or before, because I've, I've changed who I am. I, I don't want my name attached to some of those sermons, <laughs> you know, so don't upload them. They weren't that good, and they were, some of them were just flat wrong, right? And, and so... Um, as we all grow and change and lean into these things, may we offer each other and one another grace. Let me lead us to the Lord's table today. Well, first I want to pray, and then I'll lead us to the table.
Gracious God, um, this thing called faith is certainly a journey. This thing called spirituality is in many ways inherent to the human condition. This sense of the divine or this rejection of the divine, but either way, we are aware of the divine. The possibility of something for which the only word we can find is God. And so, Lord, we're confounded by this thing called spirituality. Today we also wrestle, God, with the place, the purpose of religion. And we confess that the ways in which we have organized ourselves in terms of practice and belief in these things called religion often have caused a lot of harm. And so, God, we ask forgiveness. But we also recognize that in its truest form, religion can be a true gift. It provides ways in which it provides a path to walk, to connect with you. And so God, today as Christians, as those who profess faith in Jesus Christ or those who are here at least exploring and, and considering faith in Christ, we today make the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we serve a God who loved humanity enough to become a human, to enter into the mess, to take on our pain, to in fact offer us rescue, salvation. And so God, we pray now that as we gather around the Lord's table to remember these things, that it would not just be a remembrance, but it would also very profoundly be an experience. That as we take in these elements of bread and juice, that we would, in fact, experience the very presence of God. That we would be reminded today of your great love for us, that we would be shown the way of salvation, that there might be something that we need guidance, correction on, and that you would speak to us. Whatever it is, Lord, meet us at your table, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.